0: Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today.
1: Even as debate rages about the future of policing and long overdue changes, departments across the country are facing another challenge. The dwindling number of people who actually want to be police officers. We're going to talk today about why that challenge is growing and what departments across the country and right here in Michigan are doing to address it. That's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR.
2: Detroit Today is supported by Michigan School of Psychology in Farmington Hills, Educating psychologists today who will transform our world tomorrow.
3: Learn more at MSP.edu.
1: Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019. WDET. Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. I think back to the summer of 2020. It was a summer that absolutely shook our country. There were constant protests streamed into city streets across America, turning out what were some of the largest demonstrations we have ever seen in American history. People of all backgrounds and colors were demanding justice for unarmed African-Americans who were killed by police officers. But they wanted more. They wanted a more just and equitable country as well. And many also demanded an end or serious reforms to police departments. This is where the whole idea of defund the police coalesced and, of course, caused a lot of controversial debate over What that means, what it would look like, and whether that really is a goal in our country. Well, a few years later, we've seen some real changes. Some police departments have been trying to reform. They're adding non-aggressive staff like social workers to accompany gun-carrying officers in the field. And this isn't just happening in liberal places like Oregon, but also in places like Ottawa County here in Michigan. Yet, although most police departments have not seen their funding cut, they are facing a different problem right now. Police departments are losing officers at a rapid pace and have a much more difficult time hiring replacements. And that crunch may be having other kinds of negative effects for their communities. In the wake of George Floyd's killing in Minneapolis, the police department there says the officer headcount has shrunk from 900 to about 560 in August, a loss of more than a third of the force. And homicides from 2019 to 2021 doubled in that city. Nationwide, a 2021 survey from the Police Executive Research Forum showed a 45% increase in retirements and a nearly 20% spike in resignations over the previous year. Police officers, yes, are leaving. So how should Americans be thinking about resolving this issue? Is this simply a temporary problem? Is it related to other staffing shortages that we see in other parts of the economy? Is it a result of purging bad police officers from some of these institutions, forcing police departments to change their culture and adapt to better protect and serve citizens, particularly African-Americans? Or is this an overall negative and long-term issue that restricts these departments ability to actually support the communities that they are sworn to serve? What may become of police departments in the next few years and further into the future? And how can we fix these issues? How does this shortage of officers fit into the larger narrative of needed change in policing? That is where we want to start the conversation today. And to talk about all this, we've got two really great guests. Yvonne Roman is the former chief of the Newark, New Jersey Police Department, a PhD candidate at Rutgers University Camden and co-founder of the 3030 Initiative, an organization that seeks to increase the representation of women police recruit classes to 30 percent by 2030. Yvonne, welcome to Detroit Today.
4: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
1: Also joining us is Jane Wiseman, who is an Innovations in Government fellow at the Harvard University's Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation. She leads the Institute for Excellence in Government, a nonprofit consulting firm that's dedicated to improving government performance. Jane, welcome to Detroit Today.
3: Glad to be here.
1: Okay, so, Yvonne, paint a picture for us. Uh, What does this look like in terms of American police stations losing police officers? What's the rate of officers leaving the force, and why is this happening?
4: Uh, The problem was definitely exacerbated after the killing of George Floyd, but the, the storm was brewing before then. Back in 1994, the Clinton um, administration had uh, issued grants for hiring, and 100,000 police officers were hired during 94, 95, 96, and all those officers were due for retirement right around the time that the killing of George Floyd happened. So you had approximately 100,000 police officers that could go, and then you had the media scrutiny, the uh pushback against the, the, the killing of George Floyd, which uh, sped all that up. So I noticed back in 2015 that women were being dismissed from police academies at very high rates. In Newark, New Jersey, between 60 and 85 percent of women were being dismissed for reasons like physical fitness tests, things that people could be trained to pass. So large swaths of qualified candidates were being eliminated because of arbitrary measures that hadn't been validated by, uh, uh, through uh, scientific methods, which are required through the EEOC.
1: Hmm. And, and how does this affect the officers that, who are on the force? How does it affect policing overall? Does it, I, I want to get a sense of, the consequence of this kind of shortage, Yvonne?
4: Yeah, sure. Well, it's a dire situation. Um, my police agency in 2010 had laid off 167 officers, like so many other police agencies across the country. But through attrition, like I've been talking about, we were down approximately 400 officers. I had uh, been tasked with creating a hiring plan to aggressively hire when I started noticing that we were bleeding out our female candidates and our female candidates made approximately 40 percent of the classes that we were sending in. So we weren't keeping up with attrition. We had police officers that were showing up to work and were almost guaranteed to work a double. We had officers that were calling out sick instead of asking for a day off because they knew that they wouldn't get it. So that we had officers that were working on fumes, and there's research also about uh, accidents uh, when officers are tired, and uh, there's anecdotal uh, uh, research also about uh, the instances of use of force when officers are tired.
1: Hmm. So, so Jane, there are lots of professions, as I said, who are facing. Labor shortages. Um, and I wonder if you can help us understand how much of this is an issue with labor generally versus a problem that is unique to law enforcement. Is this just about the great resignation in some ways?
2: So I think there's a part of it that, yes, is related to the uh, broader societal issues uh, that we've seen um, you know, the, the younger generation doesn't have the same expectations of the workforce and what work will mean in their lives. And this is something that I think law enforcement really has to confront because the profession cannot stay the way it is and continue to attract young people of high caliber who will commit to a career. Mm. Um, but I think You know, it's also something we're seeing across government. You know, there was a a recent national survey of public sector employees, and uh, it showed forty-four percent of them are feeling stressed out, forty-two percent are burned out or fatigued, and um, forty-six percent report they they have now have more tense interaction with the public. So that's a survey of broadly public sector employees. Mm-hmm. Do we? I wish we had the same survey for uh, law enforcement profession because I think we would see much higher numbers in terms of officer stress, uh, lack of wellness, um, and the tension with community. Uh, but the problem is we just simply don't have that kind of national snapshot. You know, we get uh, the, the unemployment rate comes out a couple times a month. GDP comes out every couple of months. COVID numbers were coming out daily. How often do we get national statistics about the state of our law enforcement, um, not often enough. Um, and, And the fact of the matter is our country spends four times as much on farm statistics as we do on the Bureau of Justice statistics. We spend three times as much on the Energy Information Administration, getting energy stats, as we do on crime statistics. And yet we, you know, we have this, uh, growing crime problem. We have a law enforcement profession that is suffering from uh, lack of trust, mm. and we don't know enough about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so, Yvonne, I, I know that your work is largely focused on reform, a specific kind of reform in police agencies, but, but it fits into this overall sense that there is something about policing that fundamentally has to change for us to, to, to be safer, for people to be able to trust uh, in police agencies, for, for us to, to have uh, communities where people are not thinking of uh, police as the enemy, as, as an invading or occupying force. So I, I wonder if you can talk about how this shortage of officers and the difficulty in recruiting officers threatens those reforms, or if it does. I mean, it seems uh, fraught that we are talking about this profound need for change and pushing very hard for change on a number of different fronts, uh, while at the same time there are fewer and fewer people who are even willing to do the job.
4: Right. The, the lack of um, adequate recruits threatens reform because you need a police department that's fully staffed to respond for calls for service, to respond to communities that are experiencing legitimate threats from violence. So you have to have a, a staffing uh, at appropriate levels to provide the service that communities need and deserve. Um I advocate for increasing the number of women in policing because so many of the qualities that align with female officers are those same qualities that are demanded by communities. When you look at the research on how women police, uh, women produce less use of force complaints, they resort to less excessive force, they generate less lawsuits, they have better outcomes for victims of crimes, um, they uh, affect less arrests, but yet yield high satisfaction results from their interactions with citizens. So my work started in uh, about 2015 and uh, I started working with the uh, Law Enforcement Advancing Data and Science, which is out of the National Institute of Justice in 2017. And based on that research, we launched the 30 by 30 initiative last year. And now we have approximately 211 police agencies that are pledging to increase the number of women in policing to 30 percent by 2030. Hmm. And that number of 30 percent is intentional also because a marginalized group can't change a culture until they reach that t- tipping point of about 30 percent where they could advocate for themselves and demand policy changes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm talking with uh, Yvonne Roman, who's former chief of the New York-New Jersey Police Department uh, and co-founder of the 3030 initiative. initiative 30by30initiative.org is their website, which seeks 30% female staffing in law enforcement by 2030. Also with us is Jane Wiseman, Innovations and Government Fellow at the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation at Harvard University. We're talking about the challenge that faces police departments right now in keeping officers uh, on the beat, uh, keeping officers on the force. Uh, Lots of police departments, including lots here locally, are losing officers at a pretty alarming rate and having a real difficult time finding new people uh, to come and be police officers. How does that affect all of the things that we Are talking about in terms of police reform and change in this country. Uh, What are the things that we need to be doing to encourage more people to want to be police officers? Of course, we want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Why do you think there is a shortage of law enforcement officers right now? What would you do to fix the problem? Or do you even think it's a problem to begin with? Are you someone who is really skeptical of the future of policing and uh, not particularly worried about whether people want to do that job anymore. Um, also, would love to hear from you if you are a member of law enforcement, uh, hear about some of the problems that you think the profession is facing and what you wish maybe the public knew more about uh, your work and your job, what kind of understanding people might have about uh, this really challenging job that you do as always the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019 that's 313-577-1019 you can also go to twitter and hashtag detroit today and we can try to work you into the conversation that way let's start today with jerry in detroit jerry welcome to the show
5: thank you very much Stephen. good morning
1: good morning how are you
5: I'm doing fine. Um listen, um I wanted to, to bring up um you know um a lot of um those who try to defend um then um police brutality and policing um try to um deny that there that there is uh, racism within law enforcement. And um for your guests, I was wondering if, if there if there are steps that should be taken to root out um um white racism within, within the ranks of law enforcement, especially in the, um, in the light of, um, of the death of George Floyd and Rihanna Taylor and countless others.
1: Yeah, uh, great great question, Jerry, and uh, I think that, of course, is part of the backdrop of the conversation about, uh, about reform and change in police departments. Jane uh, Wiseman, I'll start with you, and then we'll go uh, to Yvonne.
2: Thank you. That's a, that's a great question, and I'm so glad you brought it up. Um, I think what it points to are two things. One is recruiting. Who do we bring into the profession? And then secondly, how do we acculturate them into the culture, right? And so the culture must change so that it is more accepting of women and of people of color, The not every law enforcement agency, but many, uh, do not feel like a welcoming place. And as Yvonne points out, until a group becomes critical mass, mask, they don't feel they can um, make change. And so, you know, there are ways you can do audits of an organizational culture and um, find out where are, you know, there are plenty of places. We all have our own blind spots, um, you know, but there are even ways that an email can be worded that can be discouraging to certain groups of people. There are uh, There's research showing that certain words used in uh, a job posting can either attract women or make them not even apply for the job in the first place. So doing a kind of cultural competency audit, I think is important, but then um, also screening out yeah. officers who are uh, racist. Th- those are not people who should be even hired but then we also have to think about how we acculturate people and in law enforcement often there's a field training officer singular Mm -hmm. uh, and let's remember that derek chauvin was a field training officer so if that one person teaches you the culture what do you learn Uh, in medicine a profession also like law enforcement where split second life-or-death decisions are made by people who have power over us. Um, In medicine, it's years of training in the job, Mm -hmm. medical residents, under different supervisors, and that's something that I think should be looked at, Mm -hmm. is completely rethinking the culture and the acculturation You know, why not have a model like medicine where you try different fields? Could you try uh, patrol, forensics, uh, technology, management, you know, do rotations and then choose a specialty within the profession? Um, Anyway, I could go on there.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting point. I have a list of
2: about 20 ideas, so I'll stop
1: there. Yeah, no, but those are great, and especially this idea that, uh, policing is a profession, not not different from other kinds of specialized professions, where we require and encourage people to have lots of different experiences and lots of different training. I mean, it's never even it's never even discussed in in that kind of context. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, before we get to a break, Yvonne, I want to give you a chance to to respond to Jerry's uh, to Jerry's question as well.
4: I think it's a very important question. There's over 750,000 police officers, and it would be naive for a police chief to say that racism doesn't exist in the law enforcement community. Um, You have to be intentional in rooting it out, and that means acknowledging the history where racism has permeated in law enforcement. And looking at the data that you have, you may not have people uh, outwardly saying, I am a racist, but you can look at data and see if there's disparities in um, how individuals are policing. Uh, police departments are a treasure trove of data points. And if uh, a law enforcement executive wants to root out practices that lead to disparities, they certainly can. Yeah.
1: Okay, when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about policing, police recruiting, and staffing of police forces. Uh, we are going to continue talking with Jane Wiseman and Yvonne Roman. We'll also continue to hear from you on the phones and on social media. Dwayne in Dearborn Heights, Allison in Detroit, David in Detroit, you will be up next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313 577 1019 you can also go to twitter and hashtag detroit today and we can include you that way we'll be right back with more detroit today Detroit today. I'm 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about policing and a police shortage that is unfolding all across the country in police departments in lots of different places. A little later in the show, we are going to talk uh, about how this affects a couple of local communities. Uh, but right now, we're talking with Yvonne Roman, the former chief of the Newark, New Jersey Police Department, also co-founder of the 3030 initiative that seeks 30% female staffing in law enforcement by 2030. Also, with this is Jane Wiseman. Uh, she's Innovations and in Government Fellow at the Ash Center for Democratic Governments and Innovation at Harvard University. Uh, they are talking to us about why we're seeing this shortage in officers and Some of the things that we could be doing to attract and retain and better train uh, police officers. We want to hear from you as well. Tell us what you think about this shortage of police officers. Tell us what you think we should be doing. Also, tell us what you make of the efforts to reform policing in in our country. Uh, Are you seeing a difference between what happens now and what maybe uh, happened just a few years ago, uh, the summer of 2020, I think was when lots of people who had not been really focused on the idea of police reform became Focused on it because of the things that were, that were happening. 313 577 1019 is always the number here on the phones. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. And again, we really do want to hear from uh, people who work in law enforcement. Uh, tell us how this looks from your vantage point. Tell us what your experiences are like and uh, whether this is having an effect. Uh, on the work that you do. Let's go next to Allison in Detroit. Allison, welcome to the show.
3: Yeah, hi. Hi. Um, I was a a student police officer about a year and a half ago in the Detroit Police Academy, and I left after four months of the six-month course because I felt unwelcome, um, Hmm. especially as a woman, There was uh, just, while I understand, (laughs) they made it very apparent every day, um, very explicitly, that police officers, by their very nature, um, quote-unquote, profile people, but the jokes were part of the culture. Um, It just... Beyond sexist, absolutely sexist, but misogynistic comments, um, quote unquote jokes, absolutely racist, lots of homophobia every day. It just, it, it called into question for me, is this the culture that I want to be a part of? Sure. Every day, every week of my life, hopefully until retirement. And my answer ultimately was no. This is, Toxic, and I can't even take it in training, and I. it seems like they don't want me anyway.
1: So, so, so. Allison, I, before I get to our guests, um, I, I, I'm really yeah. curious about uh, you say this was going on constantly. Is it? Is it among other cadets that you saw this behavior? Was it among instructors, was it? Oh, I mean, it was
3: absolutely led by the instruction team. Wow. The instructors did it. And, I mean, I have to say that almost all of my classmates were looked up to them. They were they were very young, and they looked up to these almost entirely males, almost entirely white males, especially in the city of Detroit, that says something, hmm. as gods. And they followed suit. I I I think my particularly in my class but I got to know some of the other student police officers in other classes, um, were were a little more open, I think, and careful about issues of gender and and race hmm. and class when we started. And I I, I literally Felt like I saw their their attitudes harden and shape towards wow. what our instruction team kind of bent us towards.
1: Yeah, uh, Allison, I'm I'm really glad you called, and uh, I'm sorry that you had that experience. I'm sorry that that uh, drove you to to not become a police officer. But I think uh, that example, you know, stands pretty starkly in this conversation. Uh, as, you know, a harbinger of what, what, what we're talking about and the things that uh, that we're seeing. I, I really do appreciate your calling. Uh, Yvonne Roman, I'm going to give you the first chance to respond to Allison because uh, in your work, this is the problem that you are particularly focused on, which is uh, gender diversity on police departments, you know, what Allison is saying about uh, sexist and misogynist comments. I think that the the culture of police departments would be different. It would be different if there were more, um, if there were more women who were both officers and uh, instructors in police academies.
4: So uh, I'm I'm, I'm sorry to hear about what Allison went through, but it's not unique to, to, to just a- Allison, right. Um, as she was speaking, I was remembering a piece of a uh, research that I read and the title of the report was, um, uh, there ought to be a law against bitches because this was a refrain that was repeated over and over again in the Academy. Mm. Um, and it was a line from a, a, a cops show and, um, and whenever someone did anything that they thought was silly or, uh, or something that they wanted to mock, that was what they would said. And and it was what Allison was describing. So we're not naive in saying that, you know, just bring in 30% women and uh, everything will be fine because the culture also needs to change mm-hmm. so that we're bringing in women not only uh, to survive, but to thrive. And so um, the pledge speaks to the culture and, and um, how to make it welcoming, how to, uh, Change it. How to uh, change the expectations so that we're not producing officers that will keep perpetuating these cycles that communities have been complaining about for for hundreds of years, right? So um, the 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 pledge addresses each one of those aspects. But like we were talking about uh, racism, they also have to acknowledge the the sexism and the misogyny that occurs in academies that deters and 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 turns women away from the career
6: yeah
1: yeah um jane wiseman i'm also disturbed and i think lots of listeners probably are by allison's description of of the kind of racism and the racial dynamic that uh that she encountered uh, as a police cadet the fact that so many of the instructors were white males. She says all of them were, and that that uh, that culture, that that uh, that demographic makeup, uh, had an influence over the culture in the department. This is another dimension of the kind of uh, challenges that we see with with police departments, and and again, how it's self-perpetuating, right? That that you get more of what you have if the, if there's no one there to introduce something different.
2: Absolutely. And Allison, thank you so much for sharing. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And uh, I hope that you, it sounds like you have uh, good intentions and uh, I hope you have a wonderful career doing something else. And I'm sorry that the department lost out on your talent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, her sharing that Uh, experience is far more powerful than what the data shows. But what I have seen in research is that when a recruit class has less than 20% women, the attrition rate for women is much higher. When the recruit class is 20% or above, the attrition rate approximates that for males. Mm. Uh, And I think this is, uh, you know, something that you know Avon's team uh, trying to get to thirty percent is going to make a big difference. Um, but it gets back to culture, right? And there's there's a great article out of um, Harvard's uh, program on criminal justice that's called "From Warrior to Guardian," and it talks about what uh, was done in the state of Washington to change uh, the culture of the training academy, which you know then takes a while to. Uh, get through to the culture of departments, but the idea that uh, we need to have the profession be about partnership with the community Mm -hmm. and guardians, not embattled in these divisions of race or gender, us, them, that, um, you know, we need more unity. And I think, uh, as Allison so ably pointed out, uh, not always because of malice, but because of just our own blind spots.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: We, te- we, If the people in charge pick the next generation, uh, they're going to pick people who largely look like them, and uh, which is why we need to bring young people. And, you know, if I were a police chief right now, I would... Uh, get not people right out of the academy because they're still trying to get their footing and might want to please people. But, you know, I did a focus group of people who were about a year out of the academy and they had awesome ideas Mm. for how to change the system. But Mm. law enforcement is a culture where it's not welcome to speak to authority. So I think that's an important thing that we need to see to change culture so we don't lose more allisons out there. Yeah,
6: yeah.
1: Okay, uh, we are going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to shift the focus just a little to uh, local local police departments and how they are grappling with this police shortage and with the challenge to reform. I want to thank uh, Jane Wiseman and Yvonne Roman for being with us. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, information that both of you shared uh, about this problem at a national level. Thanks for being here on Detroit Today. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, this locally with a sheriff and uh, other folks who are involved in local police institutions. Again, if you want to join us, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, thanks for tuning in. The officer shortage that we have been talking about is not just a national problem. To date, more than 200 officers have quit the police department here in Detroit, twice as many as in all of 2021. According to the Michigan Association of Chiefs of Police, more than 1,000 officers across the state left their jobs Since 2020, and in August, the Oakland County Sheriff reported 23 road patrol vacancies and more than 30 corrections positions, saying they received one-tenth of the applicants they would have years ago. One department in the South is looking to uh, try to fix this issue. The New Orleans Police Department is now hiring civilians to help its officer shortage to monitor phone and online reports, issue traffic citations, and survey events like Mardi Gras. Is this a viable option? Are there other outside-the-box plans that agencies have used to support staffing? What can police departments do to address this issue? We want to continue this conversation with a local focus now with uh, with Washtenaw County Sheriff Jerry Clayton. Uh, he has 30 years of experience in public safety and leads an organization of approximately 420 which serves a population of over 358,000 people. Sheriff Clayton, welcome back to Detroit today.
5: Hey, Stephen, thanks for having me. Yeah.
1: Also joining us is Chuck Wexler, who is executive director of the Police Executive Research Forum, an organization of law enforcement officials and others who are dedicated to improving the professionalism of policing. He served as executive director since 1993 and has a PhD in urban studies. In planning Chuck Wexler welcome to Detroit today
7: nice to be with you yeah
1: so uh chuck i'm going to start with you um are local law enforcement agencies really facing a shortage and how big is it I, those numbers that i was reading there in the open uh, are pretty staggering
7: uh there's no question about it you're seeing a significant Uh, shrinkage uh, in staffing across the country whether it's on the front end in terms of hiring existing uh, people resigning faster and retiring earlier so you have those three things happening at the same time you know the job market is uh, tightening it's it's harder to hire people you look at what's going on in the military and with teachers and I think what's, you know, the, the story is that, you know, the, the, in the wake of the George Floyd uh, death, uh, you have seen a significant challenge to hiring and people wanting to be cops. No question about it. We haven't seen departments offering an incentives of $10,000, $30,000 to hire new officers. That ought to give you some indication of just how dire it is. Hmm. Uh, uh, Sheriff
1: Clayton, you and I have talked before about some of the things that uh, you are doing to make policing look different in Washtenaw County. I, I want you to to talk just a little about those efforts and how they're going, catch us up, but also talk about how this difficulty in recruiting and retaining officers confounds some of the things that, uh, that you're trying to do, that you're trying to change there.
5: Yeah, I, I think, you know, my first comments will be a little more global to, to speak to what Chuck said. I, I think to a large degree, the profession itself has been slow to adapt hmm. to the changing and evolving landscape. Um, I caught the tail end of the conversation that you were having, and the, and the young lady was talking about her experience in the police academy. I was a police academy instructor for a while. There's a different mindset, and we have to change that. The workforce demographics have changed based on gender and race and ethnicity. You know, all areas of of diversity we have to embrace, but not just diversity but inclusion. And it goes to organizational culture. You know, how willing are we to lean in and be intentional and strategic about changing organizational culture? So that leads me to the next thing. So if we change organizational culture because our mission has changed, our mission is about community wellness and safety. I hear the whole Warrior, the guardian, that makes a little bit of sense. But let's talk about the, the, the role that we have as an organization. And then let's talk about the role that our staff plays in terms of executing the strategies to fulfill that, 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 that mission. So now we have to change where we go to recruit, how we recruit, who we recruit. And I'll, I'll tell you, sometimes the processes are old and antiquated you know, automatic disqualifiers that aren't relevant anymore. And I'll just say this. When we start talking about changing disqualifiers and everything, the first thing that some folks in our profession will talk, well, you are learn the standards. No, we're not. We're recognizing we have a different landscape that we have to navigate. And we have – I'll give you a good example. There was time when I started, there was no facial hair. Now, staff's allowed to have facial hair, how we deal with different genders – tattoos, all of that. It didn't lower the standard. Our, our staff can still deliver quality service. Hmm. You just look a little differently doing it. And and, and and we have to be willing in the profession to lean into these changes and to do it in a way that reflects uh, what I think is an evolved mission. So in, in the insurance Office, we changed our mission statement. The first part of our mission statement is to co-create community wellness and safety. Yeah. So when you start from that premise... Now, our staff should think about differently how we execute some of those strategies. And we must make sure we bring the right people into the organization that can actually behave the way we want them to behave.
1: Right. Uh, Chuck, I want to go back to you because I know uh, we have to let you go in just a few minutes. But I want to have you talk about the recommendations you have for law enforcement agencies. What have you seen uh, work in, in your experience? What should departments be doing?
7: Well, I think the sheriff touches on some interesting points. Um in some ways, you know, reexamining the hiring process is important. Uh unfortunately what some departments are doing is, you know, reducing the standards and I, and I think that's the wrong direction. Now, that has nothing to do with tattoos or or looking at uh, you know, past uh, offenses, you know, when someone was young. I'm I'm more concerned with you know reducing the educational requirements and and things like that mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. some ways we should be increasing the you know the standards we should be holding people um, you know to a higher standard if they're going to be enforcing the law making arrests making life and death decisions you know, the training that we give in this country is inadequate. In Germany, for example, they put people through two and a half years. So I would be a proponent of raising the standards, raising the salaries, and I'd rather have more highly qualified, better paid police officers, uh, less, less, less police officers and more highly qualified, better trained uh, and supervised police officers. You know, when you look at these viral videos, each one of them you know you say to yourself how is that possible how how can that happen and i think with 18000 police departments and no standards uh, and training that's inadequate it's going to continue to happen so the challenge is you know in this market competing you know, uh, with the private sector, when you have an unemployment rate that's a records low, it's really daunting because the military, if you just seen reports on the military, they're having issues. Teachers, they're lowering, lowering standards to hire teachers. So police are, are faced in the middle of this. Uh, but I think we should be actually raising the standards rather than reducing the standards to get more.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, Um Chuck. Wexler, uh, it was really great to have you with us. I know you have to go. I really appreciate you being uh, able to, to stay with us as long as you have. Uh, we we're, we're are going to be able to let you go, though. But, but again, thanks for being here. Thanks a lot. Thanks for, for
7: having me. Appreciate it.
1: And I want to continue, of course, with uh, Sheriff Jerry Clayton and your calls. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Uh, let's next go to Dwayne in Dearborn Heights. Dwayne, what's on your mind?
0: Hello. Um, first of all, I want to apologize to Allison because she should have never went through that stuff. Mm-hmm. And as a reporter, I reported about that animal house mentality, mm-hmm. which needs to really go in departments. But my my thing is that um, you all have been touching on a lot of issues, and I think that pay, pay and benefits are really key to everything. I've been covering. Uh, Police departments for 20 years. I left journalism in 2019. And when I left Almagordo, New Mexico, they were still paying a a starting officer, a rookie, at $14 an hour. Oh, my goodness. And that is just, that should not be happening because Albuquerque PD was offering $22 an hour for a starting officer. So the officers would leave. And my thing is that one thing to get a quality officer and to get him to really embrace his training is to pay him what he's worth and to give him those benefits. Because, you know, if an officer gets injured or shot, for God forbid that you know they need to have those benefits and know sure. that they're going to be taken care of and yeah. their family. Dwayne, that's they need to start to pay
1: higher. Yeah, Dwayne, that's Thank a that's a really wonderful point. Sheriff Clayton talk about pay and the role that it plays in in this problem of getting and retaining officers.
5: Yeah, I I think compensation is part of it, right? You get what you pay for or what you invest in. And um It's hard when you drive down the street and you see that fast food restaurants are paying the same hourly rate as a starting police officer or corrections officer. And the other thing, I'll go back to this generation, right? this devolved generation of people that we're looking for. um, They think differently than maybe we thought when we started. When When I started, I was looking for a pension. And I figured I'd stay in the same organization for 20, 25 years and get that retirement. Mm. Well, for some folks, that is the case. But for some, it isn't. So let's be creative. Let's offer options. Let's, let's offer the full, the full rate, right? hourly rate and full fringes. But for those that aren't interested in the fringes, offer them a higher rate. So they don't get maybe the full retirement, maybe I get some health care, but they get a higher hourly rate because they don't even see themselves staying more than four or five years. We just have to be realistic about the the applicant pool and and, and take our lead in the private sector of how they're tiering compensation and adjusting compensation to attract folks. And then if you attract them and you have the right culture – Maybe over a period of time, they said, "Well, you know what? I want to change this now because I, I I found a place where I really want, I belong, I fit, and I want to stay." So it's the creativity that I think. I mean, we have to be willing to think differently than we have before, um, not only in the compensation, but who we're trying to bring into organization.
6: Mm, yeah. Uh,
1: again, uh, thanks very much uh, for the call and the comments, Dwayne. Let's go next to David in Detroit. David, welcome to the show.
8: Good morning. Hey. Um, Sheriff Clayton and, and Stephen, thank you for having this conversation. I'm hearing a pretty consistent theme of, of talent, culture, and training. Mm-hmm. And there is an, a ready-built system that's already ready to embrace the changes that I think many of your guests have been talking about this morning, and that's the U.S. Department of Labor's, apprenticeship system you have a a nationally certified uh portable credential that can be designed to do the things that all of your guests have been talking about and draw out the time so if we're talking about you know a six-month academy where 40 to 60 percent of that time is training around the firearm Mm -hmm. and not necessarily the 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 culture of the community but then imagine, you know, you becoming an electrician and taking 10,000 hours or five years to train to become an electrician so that you don't uh, hurt yourself or, or the clients that you're installing electrical work yeah. or an operating engineer, driving a bulldozer sure. or, or working with a crane. So if we want our officers that work in our community to understand cybercrime, elder crime. Um, you know, the rash of catalytic converters being stolen through organized crime sure. uh, and regular everyday being a decent human connecting with, with people in your community that are that are facing a crisis, then, you know, perhaps social work could be intertwined into a 10,000-hour police apprenticeship yeah. and replace
1: these academies. David, that's such an innovative idea. I love that you called and, and suggested it. Sheriff Clayton, we've got only about a minute and a half left, but I want to have you respond to this idea of changing dramatically the way we train officers to include some soft skills and some things that uh, that would really help them uh, interact and, and meet the needs of uh, people in the community.
5: Uh, quickly, I think that's right on point. And, and for most progressive agencies, they recognize that. So if you go to an agency, uh, look at a couple of things. Look at their training budget and their training hours. And examine where they invest most of that time. Is it in all the what we call the sexy stuff, the driving, the shooting, the defensive tactics? All important because it's critical. If you need it, you better be good at it. But what's the frequent things that you do? Interacting with people. Mm -hmm. So we have this we call managing interpersonal interaction series that has all of those things. Communication, um, uh, cultural diversity, implicit bias, all the things that you want to equip your staff and educate them on so they can navigate what they use most of the day. So if I'm putting arrows in the quiver, I want to put those are the most arrows I want to put in the quiver. So we just, again, have to be thoughtful. What's our mission? What's our strategies? How do we want our staff to behave? And then invest the knowledge and skills to make sure they can behave in that
6: way. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, uh, Sheriff Jerry Clayton, uh, great to have you back with us here on Detroit Today to talk about uh, this issue. Thanks so much for joining us.
5: Thank you very much for having me. Have a good day. Okay.
1: That is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we are going to talk about the January 6th committee's investigation into the insurrection and the riot at the Capitol on December 6th, or on January 6th of 2021, including the latest news and what we know about the upcoming congressional hearing tomorrow, which WDET will also carry live. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevathan. And Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bovian and Will Sessions. This is 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.